You guys may be seated. Well, last week we started a series called Already Not Yet. And if you missed it, I encourage you to catch it online because it really helps to set a framework up for what we're going to be talking about these last few weeks. And if, if you're not familiar with this concept of the Already Not Yet, yesterday or last week I brought out my daughter's trusty set of the Lord of the Rings and just shared with you that although the Lord of the Rings is one story, uh, it's three different parts of this story, very similar to this, the story that we find ourselves in. We had the beginning of time, we had the birth of Jesus, what we call the first advent, and then we're awaiting the second advent, the second coming of Christ. And so we live, as we talked about last week, between these two chapters, between the already, what has already come, the coming of our newborn king, and the not yet, the coming, his return of the king as he comes to make all things right and perfect. And so we find ourselves living in this tension between the already and the not yet. These things that we, we see glimpses of the kingdom of God, but yet it's not fully realized. And that tension that we lived and we talked about last week is difficult for many of us. It's difficult because we can see, as the scripture we even talked about said, a foretaste. We can get have just a little glimpse of what Christ is going to do when he comes again. We have the kingdom of God here already, but it's not fully here yet. And I ended last week asking you guys a question. What are you doing with your waiting? In that period between the first advent and the second advent, what are you doing in this waiting period that we have for Christ to come again? And this week, as we continue on this series, we're looking at our second word that's often focused on during this season of advent, and that's the word joy. And so this morning, I really want us to see, what are we doing with our waiting? Are we waiting with joy? And how can we have waiting with joy? Because as we know, there are so many things that feel like we shouldn't be joyful about them in our world today. Maybe it's stuff you're going through personally. Maybe it's the world you see around you. All you have to do is turn on the news or scroll your social media feed and you see things you think, how can I possibly be joyful about this? So how can we be people of joy. Well, the Bible talks a lot about joy, but how can we experience it in the midst of this tension between the already and the not yet? And it all starts with the hope that we talked about last week, the hope that we have in what Jesus has already accomplished, even as we wait patiently for the entirety of his plan to be laid out before us. We know that the war has been won, that death and sin has been defeated, but we still wait for all the things to be redeemed, for the world around us to be made right when Christ returns and makes everything new. And because of the hope that we have in that, we can have joy. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to that verse later on in our time together. But I want us to ask this question first. What is joy? Joy is often something we equate with happiness. We say, oh, you're a joyful person. That means you're often in a good mood or you have a smile on your face. But in reality, joy is much deeper. See, happiness is a result of good things happening. But joy is a state of being. It's something much deeper. It's a state of being that despite what might be happening, you are filled with joy. And Christian joy is an attitude that comes from abiding in Christ. We've talked about that quite a bit this year, what it means to be abiding in Christ, to stay close to Christ. 
And letting the Holy Spirit grow us and shape us is a key to us having the joy down in our hearts. How many of you guys sang that song when you were growing up? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Yeah. It's down in here. It's not, it's not affected by the things going on around us because it's something that comes from within. And joy is part of our sanctification. That's part of us becoming more like Jesus. It's part of our discipleship process of being people who are becoming more like Jesus. As we become more like Jesus, we become more joyful. We're going to see how that's possible, even in the tension of the world we're living in, for us to grow more joyous as we grow more like Jesus. So let's take a look at someone who lived out joy in the midst of some incredibly difficult circumstances. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. This is a passage that, whether this is your first time in church or your first time in a long time, whether you read your Bible very much at all or not, you've probably heard this story before. And we're going to look at this beautiful scene in Luke chapter 1 where this young, strong woman is visited by an angel and told this amazing news. And she's so excited that she gets to have baby Jesus. She runs and tells all her friends and family and is super pumped that she gets to help raise the savior of the world. And their friends and their family, they all throw her this cutest baby shower. This is how the story goes, right? Yeah. No, there's something else happening here. The reality would have been much different. That's what we would think might be happening when someone is told they're going to bear the savior of the world. But that's not the way it went down. Scripture tells us that Mary was pledged to be married. Your translation might say engaged. An engagement back then was not like engagement today. Now, while it's generally hoped for that if you're engaged to someone, you will end up being married, we all know that's not always the way it happens, right? Circumstances change. People change. But in the first century Jewish culture, when a couple was pledged to be married or betrothed is an older word used for that, for all practical purposes, they were legally bonded together. It wasn't just a, hey, you want to get married? Great, let's set a date. They were already bound together. And while they didn't live together, and they didn't consummate their marriage in the marriage bed, they were committed to each other. So it's important to keep that in mind as we look at this story of Mary. Now, as I said, we're all familiar with this story. The angel of the Lord comes to Mary and tells her, she's going to bear the Son of God. Merry Christmas, right? I mean, what does every young girl who's about to get married, what does she want? A baby that's not your fiance's? Mary, no doubt, knew about the prophecies that had been foretold. Isaiah chapter 7 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. But it's not like Mary woke up that morning and thought, Hey, maybe it's me. I can't wait. I mean, that's kind of the Disney princess version of the story, right? This news, this what we call tidings of great joy, would rock her world. I mean, just think all her plans, her reputation. No one believe, would believe that she either hadn't cheated on Joseph or that they hadn't kept their marriage covenant pure. Would Joseph even believe her? I mean, would you? She would be shamed. He would be shamed. See, for us, we have the advantage of seeing this story like we talked about last week in 3D. 
right? We get to look at this from a different perspective. And we see just a bit beyond where Mary was able to see. But for her, how did she receive this news with joy? How many of us allow our circumstances to determine our joy? I told you guys last week that Christmas has been a tough time for me for many years. Now, for many years, I spent time in ministries uh, where Christmas was what we called go time. It was the Super Bowl. That's what we said. And each year, it was supposed to get bigger and bigger and bigger and better. It was 12 to 15 hour days for the whole month and putting together programs and productions and all getting it ready for the big season. And with all that, of course, stuff is bound to go wrong. Things break. Key people get sick. Things pile up. And at that time of year when you're supposed to be filled with tidings of comfort and joy, uh, I would usually just want to hide in a hole somewhere for the month of December. And my family can attest that I wasn't always full of joy. Maybe you've had some seasons like that too. Maybe you're in one right now. The plans that you made, they fell through. You've given it your all, but your marriage is still on the rocks. You worked all year and thought you were going to get that promotion, but it went to someone else. You just paid off your car, and now it needs a major repair. You thought that you had caught it in time, but the doctor says it's inoperable. Maybe you're in a season where you say, the kids aren't going to make it home this year for the holidays. Not because they can't, but because you're not on speaking terms. So how can we as people be people of joy when there's so much that's going on wrong around us? Here's what we see from Mary. Mary's joy was not based on her circumstances, but on her Savior. I wish I could tell you I came up with that. I didn't. I heard that somewhere. Mary's joy was not based on her circumstances, what was happening around her, these difficult situations. It was based on her Savior. And here's how we know this. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. As Mary sings out this song of praise, Mary said, My soul praises the Lord's greatness. My spirit finds its joy in all the good things happening to me. No, my spirit finds its joy in God, my Savior. How is this even possible? How can we experience joy in the not yet? Not having the kingdom of God fully realized. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. What can we learn from Mary about living with joy in the waiting? And I'd like us to take a look at two things that the angel tells Mary that I believe are key to her finding joy, even in difficult circumstances. Finding joy, not in her circumstances, but in her Savior. Now, I've heard this story like you have probably hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And it wasn't until diving deeper into this passage that I ever saw this. And I owe this insight to the author and pastor, Buddy Owens, for, for pointing this out. And I hope that this rocks your world like it does mine. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I want you to notice a phrase here, highly favored. Say that together with me, highly favored. Yeah. 
While some in the Catholic Church have exalted Mary to almost a deity status and have used this verse often to make that case, I want us to see here that the angel's declaration that Mary is highly favored isn't just a term applied to her. It's a term that applies to you. This phrase in the Greek, highly favored, is only found one other time in the New Testament. This phrase, highly favored, the Greek original language of that, that phrase is found one more place in Scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. You're going to see it up here on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and grace. And here it is, with which he favored us in the beloved. That's the same Greek phrase that the angel says to Mary, greetings you who are highly favored. See, we can live with joy in spite of our circumstances because we are highly favored. Now, what does this mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're going to have everything that you want. Sometimes we're told that. Sometimes that's the the sales pitch that's used to Encourage someone to follow Jesus, that everything is going to be great, that you are highly favored, which means everything's going to go your way. That doesn't mean that that's the way it's going to go. It doesn't mean you'll never get sick or experience pain. You will still have sin in your life and you'll still have the consequences of sin. See, living in the tension of the already not yet, Jesus followers, we don't get a pass on trials. We know this. John chapter 16, 33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. But we can live with joy, not because of our circumstances, but because we are highly favored. There's another phrase that I want us to look at. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. Mary, after she's told this news of what will happen, she says, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. I want us to notice this for a second. Mary didn't say, this is impossible. Mary didn't say, I don't want to do this. She didn't say, I don't believe you. She says, how can this happen? Not because she doubts, because she knows what she's just been told is miraculous. Mary is one of the very few times that we see people in Scripture that respond to God this way. I think about Moses when he was told what was going to happen to him. What does he say? Nope, not me. I'm not doing that. I can't do that. Not, Lord, how are you going to make it happen? What about Jonah? He's told to go to Nineveh, given this blessing and promise of what he can do for these people. He says, no, but not Mary. She just asks, how can this happen, God? Tell me. And here's what the angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I want us to look at that phrase, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Once again, this is a phrase that in the Greek is only, only appears one other time in Scripture. And it's not about Mary having a virgin birth. 
It's found in Acts chapter 1 at the birth of the church. Acts chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We can live with joy in spite of the circumstances that we're going through because the Holy Spirit, like Mary, has come upon us. We are highly favored and the Holy Spirit is with us. Mary was able to live with joy in spite of her circumstances because she was chosen, highly favored, as you are. And had the Holy Spirit come upon her, those of us who are followers of Christ have had the Holy Spirit come upon us. So we can live with joy because we are chosen, highly favored, and we've been given life through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come on us. We don't have to live in fear because we have the hope, and with that hope comes joy, no matter the circumstances. And it's possible because we are chosen, we are highly favored, and the Holy Spirit is with us. See, joy in the waiting doesn't eliminate our trials, but it does eliminate our fear. We don't need to fear the not yet, the second coming of Christ. Because with Christ, we, like Mary, are highly favored, Holy Spirit indwelled children of the King. And so, in spite of our circumstances, we can find joy in the waiting. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to enjoy everything that's going on in life. You do know the difference, right? Between enjoying something and finding the joy. All the junk that's happening around us and to us and in us, we don't enjoy that, but we can find joy because we are highly favored and we have the Holy Spirit. Joy that comes from recognizing that we are God's chosen ones. Not because of anything we have done, but because our good father loved us so much that he invites us to be part of his kingdom. That kingdom that's already here, but we're not yet fully realized it. Mary's encounter with the angel ends with her saying this in Luke 1.38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. May everything that you have said about me come true. This is both a statement of surrender and a statement of hope. See, it's surrender because it shows that Mary recognizes that this, she isn't the master of her own universe. She's willing, even though it's difficult, even when it's not convenient, even when it hurts, to surrender her life to God's plan. And her statement is full of hope because she's anticipating what God is going to do, even though it doesn't make sense to her. Even though she's got questions, she puts her hope in the one who holds it all. And because of that, she's able to have joy. So what if we approached everything we're facing today, this month, this year, this upcoming year, with the same response as Mary? Because what, what have you and I been told will happen to us? As followers of Jesus, we're told that we'll be highly favored, and that the Holy Spirit is alive and in us. We read a little bit about, more about what this is promised 
in Romans chapter 8. We looked at this last week, but I want us to spend a little bit of time here as we close reading some of this. So I'm going to be skipping around a little bit. If you want to follow along, I'll be in Romans chapter 8. But in this Bible that I'm reading from, this passage of Scripture here is entitled, Life in the Spirit. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control on us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that it just, so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us and no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are not controlled by the Spirit if you have, or you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, the Holy Spirit within us. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. Because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is the same Spirit that came upon Mary. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Verse 15, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are his heirs, highly favored. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs in God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. This is what we read last week. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. The already is nothing compared to what we're going to experience in the not yet. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when Christ will, when God will reveal to his children who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day where it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Verse 28, and we know that God has caused everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Verse 31, he says, what shall we say about these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? He goes on, he says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. 
Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. No circumstances is what he's saying. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. We are highly favored. We have the Holy Spirit God came to Mary and was born in her. And that same good news of great joy is true for us today. That we are God's temple. That he lives within us. Romans 8, 10 says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life. The same spirit that is within you. Each week we take a time to celebrate and remember that God made a way for us to have life with him, to experience the already and the not yet. If you've got your communion elements, I encourage you to take those out. And I'm going to ask my lovely wife to come up and share with us a moment. As I was preparing for this, she shared with me some thoughts that she had about Mary and the Holy Spirit. And I thought these just fit so well with what we're talking about today. So I encourage you guys to be able to hear from her this morning. As we've been... As we've been talking the last couple weeks about this season of Advent, it just makes us pause and think about the incarnation. The word incarnation literally means to become flesh. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And skipping down to verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. The word was made incarnate. The word was made flesh. If we look back to Genesis 1, we see that creation was initiated by, and God said. God spoke. It was his word that created his word, the word from John chapter one. It was Jesus. John told us that in the beginning was the word and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. God spoke all things into existence and gave all things life through the word, Jesus. Then in Luke two, we see the angel approach Mary and tell her that the Holy Spirit would join with her in conceiving a child that would be holy, the Son of God. The Word was about to become flesh, and for nine months, he made his dwelling within her. Then in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says, For everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have be, has been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him, all things hold together. 
So that means that when Jesus was conceived, the creator of the universe humbled himself to the point that he became a tiny pinprick of a couple of cells that can't even be seen by the naked eye in the womb of a human whose reproductive system he designed. And that tiny pair of cells were still what was holding the entire world together. Can you even imagine? So what does the incarnation have to do with communion? When we take communion, we symbolically take Christ's body, the word that became flesh, into our own. We join his flesh with ours. When God became man in Jesus, divinity was united to humanity. And when we take communion, it reminds us that our humanity is united to divinity. Communion also reminds us of when we accepted Christ and were baptized into him. We've united ourselves with Jesus, dying to ourselves, and we've been raised into new life with him and through him. We ourselves have become the embodiment of him so that in our lives, we walk around as living incarnations of him, his love, his grace, his wisdom, and his hands and feet in the world. Just like God allowed Mary to play a part in the incarnation of the birth of Jesus, he allows us to participate in his current incarnation in the world, us, his church. And yet, we cannot embody Christ and remain stagnant, still, or lifeless. He also gave his blood, the power behind life itself, we have no life without blood, and his blood resurrects us out of the death of sin and complacency and reanimates us into new life filled with hope and empowered by his spirit. So as we renew that relationship this morning, may we, like Mary did over 2,000 years ago, willingly offer our bodies to the Lord to use us in this world for his purposes above our own, knowing that the ability to do all of this comes only through abiding in him, through his blood, and through his spirit. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, thank you so much for putting a miraculous plan into place that would make a way for us to come back to you that conquered sin and death and for allowing us to participate in your plan through your spirit. Thank you for Jesus, for his power to create what didn't exist, both in the world at creation and even now within us. May we fully surrender to the goodness that you want to create in and through us. We love you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take together. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, as Angie just talked about abiding in Christ, if we abide with Christ, we will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. You can't face 
the struggles and the circumstances that we're going through in life unless you are connected to him. But when we are connected, we can experience the joy like Mary did. The joy that's not dependent on our circumstances, but dependent on two things, that we are highly favored, that we're chosen, and that the Holy Spirit lives within us. In John chapter 15, 11, he ends that section by saying, I've told you all these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We can experience complete joy in and through Jesus Christ this season, despite our circumstances, despite what we're going through, because we're highly favored, because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray together. God, I thank you so much for this story of Mary, a reminder, Lord, of the promise that you made to her that brought in that first advent, Lord, and the promise that you make to us that we too are highly favored, that the Holy Spirit has come upon us as your believers. And because of that, we can have good news of great joy. Lord, help us in spite of the things that we're going through, even in those difficult times, to recognize that joy, to recognize that you are walking through it with us. And God, may we be people who look as we wait for the not yet to come, excuse me, that we would recognize that there's tension in that waiting, Lord, but we can experience joy as we wait for you to come again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.